This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. Deep Color is independently produced and a free resource for listeners. Help support and sustain this project by making a donation online at deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also learn more about each contributing artist and find links to their online portfolios. Be sure to share this project within your community and become a subscriber in Apple Podcasts. Your continued support and belief in Deep Color is profoundly important, and I thank you for your generosity. This episode profiles Sun Yu. Sun makes sculpture, installation, and wall works that can operate like paintings. Her tabletop-sized sculptures utilize ready-made objects like sewing needles, beads, wire, and magnets, all precariously arranged into compositions that penetrate walls, suspend from ceilings, or blossom vertically off of wood bases. Other sculptures are made from brightly colored polymer clay shapes that might resemble jewelry parts or fragmented patterns. She also makes works that feature her clay forms as gestures, all wonderfully arranged and mounted onto the surface of a painted panel. The work is full of visual vibrancy and dimension and surrounds ideas connected to fashion, presentation, labor, and craft. We recorded this conversation in her studio in the Long Island City section of Queens. You know, I, I, I through a... Uh an inside source, a friend of the project and a friend in common, uh, told me that you're a trained painter, which maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's public information, but I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as, as long as I've known your work, there's always a, a three-dimensional element mm-hmm. and, and installation element. Right. So I wonder if you would talk about how you started off studying painting and then ended up making more installation-based sculptural work that has painting and gesture and drawing in it. But I think it's always great to hear that often that path uh, the artists take to get from how they started to sort of where they are now. Can you, can you, can you take us down that road? So, yes. So I actually studied painting in undergrad and grad school Mm -hmm. Um, and I did paint for a long time until I, I guess um, it sort of dropped traditional way of painting when I moved to New York. I think there was a lot of uh, reason why, but, but at the same time, my work, even though these are not a traditional painting, I do think that they have a very strong reference and relationship to the painting. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, uh, a lot of things that I've made um, as a sculpture or even as inst- installations, I think they are either flat or they still have a lot of like um, idea of like a perceived images versus actual, you know, perceived spaces mm-hmm. and colors and there's mark makings. So um, I sort of carry my painter's attitude yeah. into non painting. Um, media but uh-huh. at the same time um more than ever i feel like i'm going back to paintings in in some way you like know. like as, as we you sort of said traditional painting like mean with a brush right and paint like a wet media yes okay 
Um, and I yeah. think one of the reason, um, you know, maybe because the fact that New York is such a vertical city mm-hmm. that, you know, flat painting seems in insufficient maybe in some point that's hmm. psychologically play that role mm-hmm. but also i think what i recognize when i was slowly getting away from traditional painting is that my work was just getting very boring and conservative to me and hmm. i recognize that that when i become too familiar with my media mm-hmm. or medium or materials it brings out the worst of me. Huh. <laughs> it's like a things that I make and it's so predictable. Wh- what's boring about these to you? Not these, but oh, okay. I'm saying like when I when I was working with the traditional painting with oh, the right, oil right, right, right. and okay. acrylic, there is idea of like I'm getting too familiar sure, with sure. the way I was making and the material that I was just bringing out. So, you know, uh, I've always been sort of struggle between like control and letting go of a control yes and i think the bringing unfamiliar and everyday sort of objects and, and materials that i'm not necessarily uh, well equipped to mm-hmm. sort of takes me to a surprising places that i i liked yeah i i identify with that this this toggle between control and um you know something less orchestrated mm-hmm. um and letting letting the material sort of steer itself or steer you versus you steer it. Um, And I mean, I think those are good instincts to sort of like let go and get into something that you're unfamiliar with. That's, I mean, that's how I learn. That's how I sort of figure things out. Sort of sounds like that's something that you do as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's not, I mean, I talked about this often as like, it's not just about being an artist. I think as a, a person too, living in a life that I think we have to be very careful you know, uh, lighting that line between self-acceptance of like who we are, what we are good at, what we like, and then have a a, a very healthy dose of like self-rejection and like, wait a minute, is this good? Right. Or, you know, am I just too comfortable? You know, yeah. that idea of like self-rejection is very critical. Otherwise, if we just go one one side, then again, yeah. like, you know, becomes predictable and boring yeah but if go the other side too far then we're living someone else's life we we don't want to do that so it's such a fine line but those are sort of pursue big pursue of me as an artist yeah. and as a person that's well said i mean i feel like that sort of reflection the the ref, the artists are the artists reflecting upon mm-hmm. their their choices and their decisions as they show up in the work and as, it, as they live their life is healthy. Yeah. And it's part of the conundrum of being an artist, I think. I think artists and other people that are, are choosing to be creative on a daily basis, mm-hmm. I think that's part of how the, our brains work. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, yeah. you know, I, I, I literally do it by using certain kind of materials like a, you know, magnet, what's a big, big part of uh, how I put things together for my uh, tabletop sculptures. Mm-hmm. And literally, magnet is something you just, you cannot rely on. I mean, there's a certain thing that the, the property of materials that I'm familiar enough that I know that's going to hold this thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, 
we don't know when that's going to be fall apart or mm-hmm. once you you know disassemble and put it back together um it's not going to be the same um there is a literally a time only so far my only time that i didn't install my uh piece mm-hmm. for this upstate new york show and that show got reviewed and um and you know curator who took my work to the show was very nervous about oh you being not there how am i going to do this and i sent her like clips of videos this is how you do it and drawings and mm-hmm. like f like all the information i could give it to her and she did her best and she called me actually during the install and everything went not but when the show got review and my work was one of the uh piece got uh written up yeah mm-hmm. and and the the work looks different <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course it wasn't you didn't put it you didn't assemble it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it comes with the territory. Yeah. That's, uh, I guess that's a dilemma when you have something that needs to be put together that's not, like you're saying, you know, you're using small magnets and needles and pieces of wire and jewelry, it looks like. Um, you know, kind of the things that get tucked away in the back of the drawer sometimes and, you know, get lost. You're sort of pulling out and creating these little three-dimensional objects or sculptures that sometimes hang from something or they're on like a plinth uh-huh. or a wire that are attached to a, you know, a painted um, little miniature pedestal that's got a beveled right. edge. I call it a base. A base, <laughs> yeah. Um, and... Um, yeah, but but it's a magnet that's holding mm-hmm. all those little things together, right? Like yeah. so, once you take that apart to reinstall it, it's it's going to be something different, right? Right. So it's almost. I mean, like, to go back to the to, to the you know the the language of painting and like putting all these different pieces or gestures together to get an interesting form. That's sort of what you're doing, just with in the in three dimensions now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to to ask someone else to do that and make those choices must be difficult. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. But that doesn't happen often, though, right? You're off. You you usually put them together, right? And mm-hmm. I I am um, getting a little savvy to sort of uh, make it easier because it's it's actually never a problem for me, but it's a problem for curators and collectors. Um, the idea of like this looks different every time you know right. that's like a uh yeah it's like a fear and anxiety reducing things so yeah yeah um but lately i've been sort of trying to make it like at least this is or a maximum three to four pieces right and so it's actually much easier to put it together yeah than uh you know 20 things uh i like things. this i like this it i mean it sort of takes on a new life probably every time you mm-hmm. put it back together mm-hmm. Um, Gives you a sense of hope, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a life and death keep happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So you make make these sort of uh, um, magnetic three-dimensional objects that are suspended around plants. You also make, um, you call them tabletops Mm -hmm. that often hold them that um, have recently been painted on top of Uh with, is it watercolor? Yes, I use and, a watercolor. And like graphite, and that's all watercolor there. Mm-hmm. Um, and gouache. Mm-hmm. It's all water-based. And then there's also works that function more like a, a traditional painting that get uh-huh. hung on a wall. And those are look like a mix of paint 
and uh, what what I think is uh, femo clay. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's relief. You know, the, the clay forms that you're sculpting are often thick, like quarter inch, sometimes right. even closer to half inch. And those are, they take on the shape of, there's some sort of like organic forms, like these look like pieces of branch. Others look like disassembled jewelry mm-hmm. pieces or just like a, like, a, like a textile design, like these interlinking diamond or triangle shapes. Mm-hmm. Like patterns. Uh-huh. And then there's like pieces of molding glued in. Mm-hmm. Interior uh, molding. It's what? It's an interior molding. Inter- interior molding. Um, and then there, there's like, in some of these, there's uh, a form that looks like a braided rope. I know it's probably not rope, but it's it's it has that sort of twist to it. That's also molding. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and then you're also painting. Um, it looks like primarily behind, like maybe that's the, never on top of the of the clay objects. It's always around or behind is that accurate yeah, yeah yeah and i would define these as non-representational i mean there's some sort of imagery that comes through like you know you know i can make the leap to a face in some of these <laughs> or some sort of interior space or some of them look like um almost almost like an, an outdoor garden or something like yeah, this yeah. um I don't know, are those fair descriptions? Yeah, yeah, I do actually have a little bit of trauma of face, though. Yeah, <laughs> tell me about that. So, um, yes, I do make uh, sculpture. Well, I, that's just for the for your listener to understand. Let's make it as, a, like, tabletop sculptures, mm-hmm. which is small sculptures that goes on um, to, you know, pedestals. And then there's a wall works, right? Mm-hmm. So these were, well, <laughs> when I said uh, trauma of the face is that two years ago I had a, a solo show in Korea and I made a low pedestal that has over like 350 scopies. Yeah, uh, I saw pictures of it online. Right, so yeah. it's sort of like a, a, a interplay between abstract paintings and, and like textile design, mm-hmm. you know, carpet design, like very low. Uh, because it was a commercial gallery and they were very sweet and, you know, um, given what we just talked about, working with magnets and everything, Mm -hmm. it's not easy to sell my work. So for a commercial gallery, especially in Korean art scene, is very conservative for them to invite me and pay for the flight and shipping and my accommodation and everything. It's it's a risk they're taking, which Mm -hmm. I was very appreciated. So towards the uh, end of the install, we sort of, like, oh, how are we going to sell these? You yeah. know, the, the, the actual, um, yeah, they, they sort of like, so, you know, how do you feel comfortable? Like, is, because they, they knew right away that it would be very hard for them to sell their large install installations mm-hmm. to one person unless it's bought by a major museum. So we um, decided that we will sell as a, a set of six as a minimal Oh, like right, a, right, right. So the person can come in and they point like, you know, I want six of these mm-hmm. and that will be a set. Right. It's a one price. Right. So we sold, you know. That's great. Yeah. So we sold like few, uh, quite a bit. And then. You were comfortable with that? I was. Like sort of disassembling the whole into yeah, smaller yeah, parts? Yes. Okay. So I was like, oh, this is, you know, um, I guess I was trusting people too much. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. You mm-hmm. know, um, it has a certain characteristic, and I, I assume that will be a guide 
to the people to buy them. But um, at the end, I got informed from my gallery that a lot of people were making face. Oh, taking the pieces and yes, making like a face. Yes, like eye, two eyes, yeah. one nose. So it's that's like immediately what people goes to. With yeah, yeah, even yeah. Even with the unrecognizable object, they they recognize that as a face. So when you said this looks like a face, I'm like, oh. So this sort of came out from that idea of like, you know, I am all for sort of letting go of a certain aspect of my work, but I had a hard time sort of... Uh, accepting that these pieces will live as a face in someone's house. Mm -hmm. So I start making more, you know, take a control of how it's going to be presented right. and, and live um, at someone's house. Yeah, that's wise. And, I, you know, I, I, should, I should qualify that there's not, when I say I see parts of faces, it's just that, you know, like this form up here could read as a mouth or even right. an eye, right? Because yeah. it's kind of, I mean, you have this re repeating kind of pecan shape. That could read as a leaf, um, lips, mm -hmm. a, 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 the shape of an eye. So, I mean, it's, it's things like that. Like, there's not, like, portraiture in here, right? right? right, right. I think that's important to, to, to clarify. Um, so, you know, yeah. my Sculpies, uh, the oven bay clays. Mm -hmm. um, Sculpie, that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, polymer clays, what they're... The actual name, yeah. but I think the Scopi is a more commonly known mm -hmm. brand. Um, so it's a oven bake, um, very common um, craft materials yeah. that children's use. Mm -hmm. I bet you use with your kids. Yep. Right. We have an army of <laughs> uh, of little objects in our house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, you know, I was born and raised in Korea, so I actually never got to play with this when I was a little. But my mother-in-law, Joanne Greenbaum, giving a shout to <laughs> Joanne Greenbaum. Joanne is a painter, and she also makes um, jewelries and dolls. And, and one of those Christmas uh, vacation, I saw her um, Santa Claus and Mrs. Santa Claus doll that made out of Scopey. and. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you know, this is definitely because I've been using a lot of um, craft materials, so that's something that I immediately knew, like I could play with yeah. this. And so it has a very much, to me, connotation to baking and cooking, mm -hmm. um, like a, another domestic labor that I was interested in, because I literally use my fingers and rolling pin to roll them out and mm -hmm. bake in the kitchen oven. Um, the shapes are very intuitive, uh, immediate um, outcome of whatever the day that I'm making. Sure. I make, you know, a bunch, uh, you know, different days. And um, some days it seemed very much like um, Richard Serra's work with <laughs> a dark, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and then there's a, some days it's very Polly Applebaum, you know, mm -hmm. like, a, so, and then... It, so it's a sort of a record of a, my visual, emotional, daily journal, sure, I guess. Sure, yeah. that makes sense. The other thing I, I notice is that segments seem consistent. Um, you don't have like a one giant piece. It's like multiple small people, pieces linked together to make a bigger form. Mm -hmm. Often like some of these look like, like I know that some of the, the, the clay comes in like these little bricks yes. and it looks like, almost like when you when you cut up uh, a square of butter uh -huh. uh, it looks like these are like the end pieces like chopped and then linked together is that accurate yeah so i mean the scale of the pieces 
um, there's a couple things to talk about that. Uh, uh, so I remember um, doing a studio visit with the New York artist, Joanne Greenbun, who shows with Rachel Offner. Mm-hmm. And I was in the middle of the conversation, I asked her, like, oh, oh so where's your paints, colors come from? Mm-hmm. And she said, tubes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I, you know, so, so, so to me, that's a sort of like a, a ready-made quality that yeah. I'm just taking as, you know, uh, uh, the property of the material that comes in a certain size, that it's good for the playing with the kids, and also that it's size enough that goes to the oven, you yeah. know, the kitchen oven. So... I, I am sort of a faithful and, you know, let the actual, um, the scale of the package mm-hmm. be remain. But also, you know, like four or five years ago, I decide, uh, I usually don't have a much rules in my life, but I actually <laughs> came up with the two rules. Okay. Uh, one was that I'm going to make work that it doesn't require a second person to carry. Mm-hmm. And it's a good rule. Yes. Mm-hmm. And especially the fact that I'm like barely 5'1 right. and living in New York, which real estate is very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second rule is there has to be small enough that if anyone buys it, they could take it to their car. Right. So those are the sort of like two rules that I've been playing with. So, um, so yes, it's, it's a true to the, the whatever the product that comes. Yeah. With you're the honoring the material. Yes. As it comes to you. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I think those are good rules. I mean, it's, it's like based in practicality mm-hmm. and utility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a long time, I mean, I had a rule like that for myself. I, I had at one of my day jobs, I, I had a tabloid access to a tabloid scanner and this is like pre decent digital camera. Like it was difficult to take photographs of your art for documentation purposes. Uh-huh. So I had access to this tabloid scanner and I would only make work that would let, that I could scan only four times mm-hmm. and then tile it together. If I had to do more than four scans, I, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't worth my, I, right, I right. just felt like I was like biting off more than I probably should chew. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Do you ever see yourself sort of breaking out of that and like sort of scaling up or are you, are you going to stay kind of compact in this way? I mean, I think, you know, size and scale is two different things, right? Sure. So we can talk about scale as a more attitude and, yeah. you know, not just about Good point. the size. So, you know, I make small work, but as you've seen some of my shows and the photos of my installation shots from other shows outside of New York, that I believe it's a one thing for you to make things in your studio, but it's another completely different sets of question how you're going to show them in public space. So even though I make them small... And there are usually small size size and small scales, but I would like to create, even within that small uh, work or how it, that's being presented, that there is a scale ship is happening the way I present. Mm-hmm. So often I use, you know, uh, pedestals that it's much bigger than uh, actual work and stuff. And also I'm using that pedestal and, and I guess presentation tool not as a supplementary to the work but extension of the work yeah and that's why the painting actually gets on but apparently that also creates another whole like dilemma for the collectors too like because they're seeing it in a different content and then does that mean like i have to buy this you know um 
I don't know, like a 93 by like 130 inch pedestal. Right, right, right. With the tiny sculpture. On <laughs> yeah, top. yeah, yeah. And that's a good point. I mean, I think that maybe this is a good spot to sort of pivot to your installation work or the the rooms that you, I mean, they, for me, they feel like a singular piece made up by multiple parts. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, and you're right. Like, it's these small things present. I feel like presentation and display are mm -hmm. also important ideas in your work. Yes. And um, playing with the viewer's uh, perspective. Like, sometimes they're low. Yes. Sometimes they're on the wall. Right. Um, sometimes they're sort of in between. Like, when you have a low tabletop, as you call them, with some of your wire vertical sculptures, it's coming up a little bit, but not right. all the way up. Or right. sometimes there is... Like even in here, you have this that's going from tabletop to almost the ceiling. This this line, which right, is, right. Uh, it looks like it's a a wire that's being held up by a magnet up uh -huh. there. But you're drawing the viewer's eye up and down, so you're playing with the verticality of the room that you're in, mm -hmm. and you're creating all these really wonderful relationships between the different levels of seeing things and and the surfaces that are holding your gestures. Yeah. Um, so you're right. Yeah. I mean, um, it seems like the, the idea or the process of setting up a room as an installation makes sense. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and you really, you, you do it really well. You're, you have a great sense of space. Well, thank you. So, <laughs> um, you know, I think there, are, I've been lucky enough to be invited to uh, very interesting places. So I think it's natural for me to take a consideration of that specific characteristic of the space so that that becomes asset to the work. Mm -hmm. You know, I really like the idea of that, you know, even currently I actually have a three different physical location that I'm creating my work. I'm doing, okay. you know, Hunter residency doing this, making ceramics there. And I have a studio in law and city and I do my scopies at home in, in Jackson Heights in, in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like there is a, I'm making things not knowing exactly how I'm going to put them together or present them. And I think often when the uh, opportunity, the space is given to me, that's where another sort of uh, a play and so creativity. It's a fourth space to make things. Yeah. yeah. And, and that becomes, you know, very site specific or at least site sensitive and it, it sort of take its own life mm -hmm. to it. And my work actually has a very, um, it has a physical flexibility, but they also endlessly evolve. Yeah. So for one show and one location, I will only use, you know, part A of this piece. And then for the, well, let's say like for my um, secret dungeon show, I had four by four pedestal, three of them put together. Mm -hmm, to make that, one big, long yes. plane. Yeah. And that was perfect for that, that tiny space in a garage. Mm -hmm. But I'm also having a solo show coming up in September at VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University. Okay. Their gallery is much bigger. So I'm thinking about extending that to like, you know, a potentially um, A to 10. So yeah, yeah. there is this kind of, uh, flexibility that ca I could add on to. Yeah. Take them apart. Sometimes I'll bring part A of one piece and part B from other piece to put together another, you know, piece. So I'm just, I like the idea of like creating stories and dramas 
depends on different occasions and yeah. space. Yeah, that's great. It sounds, I mean, that's great reaction and response mm-hmm. um, to the space and being able to unfold it even more or build on or shrink it down. I mean, that's great flexibility. Yeah. That's, that's we great. We should all have it as a person <laughs> too. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, you, you spoke about rules um, and there's, that's kind of a rule, but it's it's very malleable, yeah. which which I appreciate. Um, maybe maybe since we're talking about space a little bit, um, and I know in, in other interviews you've talked about your attraction towards, and when I say space, like exhibition spaces uh-huh. or spaces in which you can present your work, yeah. you you have an interest in non conventional exhibition spaces. Mm-hmm. Can you can you describe some of the like? alternative to a like formal gallery space that you've shown your work in um and maybe why well i think why you lean in that direction or have like have sort of gravitated towards those right well so for my own show you know often shows are given to me as an artist right so Mm -hmm. i'm just being very actively participating like oh you're giving me this space so then i'm making this show Mm -hmm. within that space but when I'm actually, I'm also a curator who does curatorial projects, also co-run a nonprofit gallery. When I do a curatorial project, which is often an extension of my interests as an artist, mm-hmm. I do like a lot of non-conventional spaces. A, literally, it gives so much more freedom yeah. than a, just a square box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, More room for surprise. Yeah, and inventive and creative um, I've also seen bad side of uh, non-conventional spaces when the space is it's so um, has a lot of strong characters. Then often uh, it could be a posture for the work, meaning that looks great. Or all the works in that space looks great just because the space has a certain characteristic. Yeah, but yeah, then yeah. once you start pay attention to the work, like mm, they're actually not that great yeah, so there's yeah, yeah. Th- that too but I, I i you know so far um i've had shows uh in apartment uh loading dog moving truck mm-hmm. um we well, mentioned condo. secret dungeon which is a storage space in a parking garage of yes. a residential building mm-hmm. um yeah i think that i think you know especially you know i'll go back to myself in my younger years when i first moved to new york like the the dream was to show in these fancy white glowing spaces right. in Chelsea, basically, right? This is before there was anything really going on downtown. Yeah. Or, or not as much stuff. Right. Um, and now as I've sort of like moved through and, and like participated in some of that stuff, um, I've returned to being more, I, you know, I'll, sh- I'll wear it on my shoulder. I, I get more excited about these sort of things that are kind of not that. Uh-huh. Um and they're just more interesting. Yeah. And there's the pressures a little lower because I think the, you know, the commercial aspect is sort of a few steps away, which yeah. is nice, I think, for mm-hmm. artists to like have that freedom and not have that pressure to have to sell something right. because the gallery's a business. Um, I know maybe we could talk about your curatorial projects in the gallery that you're part of and how the, how like where it fits within sort of the spectrum of exhibition spaces in New York. Um, so, yeah. um, I am currently co-run a nonprofit gallery called um, Tiger Strikes Asteroid New York. We call it TSA New York. Mm-hmm. 
There's we, one in Philadelphia too. We do have one in Philly. Yep. We have one in Chicago. We have here in New York and one in LA. So it's a four of us um, or four locations. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an independently run space. Artist run? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But we just became a nonprofit last year. So we actually now be able to raise, um, apply for grants and raise sure. more money. Sure. <clears throat> So that, you know, but even before I was involved with TSA New York, I had my own curatorial project um, called Clinton, uh, President Clinton Projects. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually started out at my apartment, which was corner of uh, Clinton Street and President Street. But I also liked the idea of like the project sounds like former presidents, you know, big. Um, international aid project. Yeah, like some big foundation. Yeah, yeah, like noble idea of yeah, yeah. like saving the world or children's yeah. or, you know, and yet this was very self-serving um, curatorial project. Yeah. So for this project, you know, again, like it, it, it is really about a different way to exercise my interest. And my, I'm interested in this kind of like in between or mixed space, you know, I, I'm interested in like a space that sort of uh, gives a lot of freedom, but also literally in between, like moving in, mo- moving out of yeah. loading that kind of idea. So the, and also um, that particular show was tied to a very practical concerns that I had I you know f- about five years ago I did a long-term residency in Germany which was six seven months long and I had a studio in Sunset Park and by the time I came back the studio rent went up so much mm-hmm. and the Sunset Park sort of became a battleground between the developers and artists you know a lot of artists got kicked out from uh, industrial cities and all mm-hmm. that so, Still are, I think. Yeah, it's ongoing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to create a show that it, it's a sort of a, uh, it's about like artist migration and gentrifications and how we be able to sustain as an artist and mm-hmm. bring all these artists out and politicians out and real estate brokers out, you know those things. And it's always fun to do it in a, you know, more raw space than yeah. a like a white cube. Right. But being a part of TSA, now we have actual Y-Cube gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you mentioned, I think that, you know, in some way, our markets are, we all dream about coming to New York. The reason why I think a lot of people are here in New York is, A, we want to be a, a, a part of a bigger dialogue, but at the same time, we also sort of, like the idea of be a part of this art market and yeah, we, we want to earn a living through the through this. Yeah, yeah, and 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 there's a very specific way of measuring art career in New York, which is all about production. It's all about having a show in certain venues and stuff. But the reality is that um, probably over ninety whatever percentage of of artists are not part of that. Yeah, and New York does a very tricky thing. It's a very weird thing in terms of like proximity mm-hmm. not just the space you know not only you go to a restaurant the tables are right next to each other and you're hearing everybody's conversation you still pretend like you're not hearing mm-hmm. 
you know, I, you don't know how many breakups I witnessed <laughs> and, you know, first awkward dates. Yeah, that yeah, I, yeah. But I still pretend like I didn't. But New York sort of does that to uh, art career too. Like you see big time artists on a street, subway, um, openings. So you felt like it's almost like a touchable, yeah, right? You could yeah. get there. Yeah. You could show at a Gagosian. You could show at a, you know, David. Like it's all these false proximity yeah is such a hopeful and devastating at the same time yeah but i think it's i think we should all recognize that there is also other side of art world which is it's about conversation it's about sharing it's about showing um underrepresent people mm -hmm. you know i think that tsa is a very into the idea of making as a platform for the diversity of New York artists that's often not being represented yeah, in yeah. a major gallery. Yeah, yeah, that's that's well said. And you know, there's a, you're right. There's a lot of illusion in this town. Mm -hmm. I think uh, you know, in some other recordings I've done with people, we've talked about the plurality of the art world. It's it's art worlds. There's many different worlds within yeah. this thing called art world. There's yeah. like the genre of art being made, you know, there's, there's a whole world for people that are interested in, um, like traditional monster makeup, like that's an art world. Right. And then, you know, there's the contemporary art world, but then there's all these little satellites off it. What, what TSA is part of is yeah. not what Gagosian, as you mentioned earlier, is part of. And I think it's important, um, to recognize that there's these different yeah. sort of zones. Yeah. Um, we sometimes forget, I think it's easy to forget. Yeah. I mean, I think I remember being in Germany for six, seven months that, you know, our conversation was very different. I think a, because funding was very different, you know, I mean, here in New York, it seems so much about production and money in a certain way. I feel like we sort of lose track of like the potential of art yeah. and potential of art conversation. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Uh, let's take a second to talk about biography. Okay. You, uh, you I'm mentioned you grew up in Korea. Mm -hmm. Um, can, you know, if you, if you sort of try and like walk <laughs> back in time, do you remember some of your early artistic influences? Were there any when you were young? Like what, how did you growing up in Korea? How did you become interested in art? So or was it later in life? I don't know. Yes. Um, yes. Meaning later in life. Okay. Um, so I was born and raised in Korea mm -hmm. till 17. Um, I unfortunately or fortunately don't have early memories. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. So I know that people talk about like, oh, when I was, f uh, you know, they have a memories of age of four or like, no, mine starts at middle school. Huh. So it's very, like one of the most distinctive memory I have is recognition of, a perception of how small I was. Okay. Like I remember looking at mir mirror at the age of like 14 thinking like, oh, I'm really a small person. <laughs> um, but um, so when I was in growing up in Korea, I uh, visual arts was never my, or didn't even know that that was something possible. That because was a thing, yeah. In Korea, um, there's a very conservative way of going to art school and becoming an artist. Like mm -hmm. you... You have to have a uh, parent who's willing to pay you to send you to private lesson um, for a long time mm -hmm. for you to go to art school. 
because there's a certain way to get accepted yeah. in a good school. Um, so that was never the case. And I think so, even though a lot of other aspect of who I am was formed as a Korean in Korea, but I think in terms of art and art education started here in the United States. Okay. And you said you moved to the States when you were 17? Ish, yeah. Yeah? 17. Um, how about then? Do you remember? I guess I'm trying to like pinpoint a sort of an origin or something that you saw that yeah. got you excited and like, wait, I want to try that. Is yeah. there anything like in your teenage years or early 20s or anything like that? It's fine if there isn't. I'm just, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't want to prod too much. No, I mean, I think if I think about it, like as an immigrant and English as a second language, even though my English wasn't good, I was still good at math and science. <laughs> Sounds um, boring because <laughs> it, it's, I guess that's what a lot of Asians will say. Yeah. So I was ready to go to um, university for the science major. Okay. But um, I did a lot of AP and um, there were just not enough credit that for me to take. So I took art class. Okay. And I did well. And I like... What type of art class do you remember? Drawing, painting, watercolor yeah. class. Just like introductory level stuff. Yeah. 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 And, and only in first year, I like got the older like state fair, city fair prize. And mm -hmm. my art teacher also, you know, immigrant... Community is such a different kind of, well, A, Asian families are very dysfunctional. <laughs> B, immigrant communities are m add some more stress because the role of parents are like switch. Yeah. You know, so I'm a child, but I act more like an adult in terms of writing, reading documents and signing right. for my dad. So right. it was... It was sort of a weird um, role play that I had to do. Um, not to mention, you know, my mom had me when I when she was nineteen, so I practically raised myself right. too. I mean, right. she's a great mother and she's very intuitively sort of a, a, a yeah good mother, but at the same time, you know, she was nineteen. Yeah. So um, I think I never had adults telling me anything, and my art teacher was telling me like, "You're good." Huh. You should. This should not be waste. You should apply for this and this, um, which was a two school and two uh, private art school. Mm -hmm. One was in New York and one was in Detroit. Um, I end up. I end up going to Detroit one because for whatever reason, my art teacher thought that was a better school. So it was. I guess the my. Uh, Me being an artist sort of decide upon this adult, a teacher who took an interest in me yeah. saying like, you're good. You should, yeah. you should do this. That's important. Yeah. I think we all need a figure like that, at least yeah. one yeah. Um, in our lives. So it's nice that you came across one. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, again, like I don't want to romanticize. Like yeah. I've had my ups and downs after I made a decision to go to art school. Mm -hmm. You know, my undergrad and grad school, even after, even probably four or five years ago, I was still going back and forth about, am I good enough? Um, is this what I want? You know, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, I, we could circle back to the 
you know, the list of things that add to the conundrums that we face. And I'm the first to admit that like what you just described, the sort of second guessing of like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. You know, every other week, maybe. Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we've been doing this long enough, but I think those questions yeah. are always there. Yeah. Sometimes they're a little bit further back and sleeping, but you know, they come forward too. Yeah. Um, I, I remember a comedian once said on TV, um, being a comedian is like, it's like a, being a murderer, meaning like becoming a successful comedian is such a like slim chance. Yeah. It's like almost you're in with the murderer. They're trying to kill you and you <laughs> say, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. And don't do it. They still do it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like something that you just, you know, you just have to do it. But I don't even know whether I can say like this is something I have to do it. Right. You know, I think it's I I decide not decided. I think I arrived at a point four or five years ago, like, oh, this is what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, you you're getting something out of it. You're mm-hmm. still at it. You've got multiple tr- projects going on, three different spaces to make this stuff. You just got a a grant and, and is it the Marie Sharp? Walsh. Yeah. Um, and that's a studio space, right? Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic. So, I but mean, I, there's a wave and you're <laughs> on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I also wanted to, this is at least what I tell myself, mm-hmm. and I, I think I do believe this, that, because, you know, every time I do some artist visiting at a university outside of New York, they always like, oh, what do you have to do to be yeah, w- what's the What's the secret? Yeah, yeah, something like that. And and I will try to share what I know, but at the same time, I think it's so important, you know, the going back to the idea of, like, having control and not having a control. Like, speaking of not having a control for the art career, like, you're, you, it's so difficult to rely on or motivate based on someone, else, like, outside... Um, acknowledgement it it sometimes comes and it doesn't come for a long time mm-hmm. sometimes never comes yeah. so it really you really i feel like I, I really have to find or we all as an artist have to find the anchor point in practice like the only control that we have is me in my studio with my work mm-hmm. everything else is just whether we like it or not it's not in our control yeah, really it's very true yeah um let's get back in the studio i, I want to describe your studio uh-huh. so that's, since that's where we're sitting mm-hmm. we're in long island city um it's um a shared space your your studio mate's not here but mm-hmm. on your half you have uh, uh it looks like i want to say two work areas um mm-hmm. one is low on the floor it looks like you have four paint can i call these paintings um Sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they look like they're 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 they're, they look like they'll eventually go on the wall because they're they're approximately the same scales of works that are on the wall. Yeah. yeah. But maybe you know, um, and then beyond that, you have a a a a workstation that's a desk with a computer, um, mini fridge underneath, a bookshelf with supplies on it, and then we're on the other side of your uh, of your half of the room. We're on, um, we're sitting at a work table that's holding a couple of your sculptural works that have wire and bead Mm -hmm. um and there's this hanging magnetic one and then behind me are um i don't know seven or eight paintings that have the sculpey um 
you know, there's sort of the assemblage paintings, yes. um, and there's more storage in the corner. Um, and then the table, I think it's important to point out that the table we're sitting at has been painted on top of, and you were mentioning when I came in that this was sort of a test yeah. for some of the other, as you call them, tabletop yeah. installation pieces. And on here is a repeated pattern in graphite, um, and then the pigment is, is it watercolor? Yes. Or ink? They're, okay, watercolor. And then the other thing I want to point out is the table legs underneath where no one's going to look except for maybe me because I got down there. Yeah. You are like embellishing the table legs yeah. even with small gestures and, and patterns with your, you know, if you're, if you're not like an observer that you're going to go right over that right. stuff. But, um, I mean, so this, I feel like we're sitting at a work itself. I know it's sort of a work surface, but this sort of feels like one of your, flexible yeah, sculptures yeah. um and i, I guess i want to go back to the stuff on the floor because mm -hmm. before we we turned we hit record we were talking about working on the floor because that's something i do as well as yeah. opposed to you know on an easel or on a wall and you were talking about it as sort of like this almost spiritual way of of engaging your work being above it it being below and kind of a Zen space or something like this. Right. Can you talk a, talk a little bit about that? I mean, more like, I don't know about spiritual, okay. uh, but more suffering. <laughs> suffering, yeah. <laughs> well, meaning like you literally, I'm literally, you know, kneel down and mm -hmm. bending over. Physically suffering. Physically suffering, okay. yes, okay. yes. Yeah, I can identify with that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that's what I meant. Um, you know, given the fact that, you know, I work with the watercolor, um, it, it need to be work on a floor or a table, like a, a flat, um, so you're not surface. fighting gravity, like a drip. You don't want a drip. There are, I will get some drips, yeah. but not at this stage. Okay. At the beginning, they're much more stable in this way. Um, and then once the work gets developed, mm -hmm. you know, there's uh, some evidence of drips. Happens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and these are panel wood panel. Yes. That have been gessoed and then you're just going, you're, you're going right in with water, like big washes of watercolor. I uh -huh. mean, the, the, your pigments are, when you are painting uh -huh. with a P, there is a translucency to, I mean, it's the watercolor, right? right there's right. not really any opaqueness to it. So there's a wash. Um, the other thing I want to ask you about is these, these four panels, the base is like a lavender or a light purple. Mm -hmm. And it looks like the, 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 this the scrap work paper underneath it to catch any mess uh -huh. is bright canary yellow right and that i mean that vibration is right there right and i'm wondering if that's intentional or i mean for me it's kind of directing or, or connecting i should say yeah right to some of the the base colors of some of these other paintings yeah but more directly the the sculpy colors i yeah. mean there's like that sort of yeah. almost like toy mm -hmm. candy um, saturated sa saturation to it yeah. um does that sort of working on a bright yellow surface like or grounds play a role in what goes on the, into the paintings so uh I, my process or the way i do always has a functional reason and then of course the uh, uh more intentional reason for that well, functional because i need to work on a floor my studio floor is not clean enough okay so that that's just you know being used as a like a floor mat mm -hmm. um and i work like a without cloth. shoes yeah, yeah like yeah, I, yeah. I actually go in with my socks and do that which you know again coming from korean culture in korea that floor 
we're very floor oriented so i it, it's, it's sort of ne second nature for me mm -hmm. so it's, it's a great another uh, reason why i'm using very uh saturated color as a backdrop is to sort of introduce a system that fucks up my um sensibility yeah 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 you know at the beginning we talked about how i i when i become too familiar with certain things it gets boring and predictive yeah. um so I intentionally try to create a system within a process that it's not my own aesthetic and my sort of education or whatever one not. That's great. You're interrupting yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So um, that that's what it's doing. And I'm, I'm doing it thinking there is yellow backdrop and yeah. yet there isn't. So I will be curious to, I'm like hoping it work out and mm -hmm. I always hope yeah <laughs> um and i accept even even it doesn't work yeah i sort of um there there's a way sometimes that i i they're in the work because i like it and then th sometimes there's a work because in my opinion it doesn't work and mm -hmm. i still leave it there mm -hmm. so this and is one way to do it it's great and then while you're painting you know uh, you know there's it feels a little bit like there's step one, step two, step three, um, while you're painting these, uh -huh. and then you bring in the bake, you bring in the the sculpey that's been baked at right. home, and assemble them. Are you, at, at a certain point, do you put them on the wall and look at them and decide, okay, so I got to work in that area, then bring it back down into the floor, or is it, does it get to a place that feels close to completion before you put it on the wall? I'm just wondering. Yeah when it moves off the floor yeah. onto a wall. Well, so first of all, like the, the sec like the idea of section is very important to me. Um, that's a, again, another way to sort of introduce, you know, like uh, rupture. Mm -hmm. The sections meaning four panels at it once. It could be that or okay. working process. Okay. Like today it's a painting, tomorrow scopey. You sure. know, like this idea of like breaking the process or materials so that there's no like a consistency in a way that I tried not to have in my work. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes, um, I mean, I always start, especially these work uh, that goes on a wall starts on a floor just because of the, I'm using, you know, watercolor and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, do I do a lot of corrections or add on after uh i you know it's hard to say because i certainly as you can see i don't consider um not necessarily over adding is a plus thing so there's this there's this i sort of pause when i try to correct things by adding it mm -hmm. um and i often do like negative space or spare or very distinctive one decisive move yeah. you know the uh, uh gestures and yeah um one three-dimensional you know i things that poking out you know like those kind of like unbalanced kind of thing i'd like that so it depends on a um depends on a pieces but i try not to really overwork yeah it doesn't feel like it. it they seem well i mean they seem sure of themselves right like when we look at the works that are on the wall are these completed or are these in progress 
You never know. You never know. Okay. <laughs> Until uh, I actually take photos and publish right. somewhere. Or it leaves, the, leaves your studio space, right? Yes, yes, um, which happened yesterday oh. to two painting guys shipped out, and I'm like... Well, those are done. That's done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but it doesn't, you know, these look deliberate in that, you know, like that goes right there. This goes right there. There's not, it doesn't like, I guess there's no evidence of like picking up and moving these things around mm -hmm. a lot. It seems the presentation of them seems sure of itself. Yeah. Um, and I was just, I guess you know, reflecting my own process, mm -hmm. which is like completely built around anxiety and like, ah, moving <laughs> things around yeah. a gazillion times. That's, I don't get that sense yeah. in here. Well, I mean, it's funny because even when I was a painter in undergrad and grad school, I remember a lot of my professor will walk by my painting thinking like, that's a great start. And I'm thinking like, but it's finished. But that's the end. <laughs> I know, like, it's done two days ago. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't know how people perceive as a finished work but like I said often my sculptures and wall pieces do keep changing and evolve um, you know I I usually have a pretty good studio days almost every time and wow. every day but um, that pretty good studio always starts with the silver eye of what I did yesterday right so I have a pretty awful uh, beginning of a studio day because like whatever I made, because I make without judgment often. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I come back next day with a fresh eye thinking sure. like, what did I done? Like right. this looks awful. And then then I start self-accepting again. I'm like, no, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, I've heard people talk about, you know, kind of leaving studio early when they're feeling good and like in a good space. Like, this is actually a good time to stop and go uh -huh. home. So you feel there's like incentive to come back the next day to pick up where uh. you left off. Or it's like you can be a happy person for the remainder of the day. Right. I mean, I'll speak for myself yeah, again, yeah. but when I have a shit day in studio, I'm a miserable yeah. person Yeah. Um, at dinner time with my poor kids and, yeah, I know. and wife. And it's trying to like game that a little bit, yeah. right? Like how do you, you know, prep yourself so that you can be that. And then sometimes it's like knowing when to stop, which is always changing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm now you mentioned and I try not to exhaust myself. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think when I'm exhausted, I'm sure everybody does too. I, I think I make awful decisions. So, yeah. um, that I tried not to do that. And also living with another artist, Right. Like I have to be extra careful with my emotional baggage as an artist. Like we don't want to be a bottom together. That's like <laughs> <laughs> bottomless of a bottom. So yeah, you don't, yeah. you don't want Too that. Too grumpy artists yeah, together. Yeah, we don't want that. Yeah. So That's like a book I, I don't want to read. Yeah, 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 <laughs> totally. Um, um, I guess while we're talking about satisfaction, right? Like when, when are we satisfied, satisfied with the things that we're making? Um, when do we put things down and go home? Do you think it's important to like, what's, I guess, what, what are the, some of the driving forces behind continuing this pursuit? Right. Is, do you believe in this idea that, you know, the next piece that you make is going to be stronger than the last, yeah. this, 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 um, idea of progress or is, is it something else? Is it, um, you got to get this idea out or you have to get this movement out. Like, I, I guess yeah. what are, what are some of the driving forces that keep you coming back? Yeah. 
if any. It almost sounds like you've already, it's much more um, positive than I am. <laughs> Maybe yeah. as a parent raising a kid, so you, you've got to be, have um, better, or hope for the, uh, or tomorrow will be better than today otherwise. Like you have to have a hope of, right. lip of hope to like go to next day. You know, I don't really think about making a better work maybe because stakes are that not high yeah that's well said yeah it's important to remember like we're you know this is not life or death yeah (laughs) and no one cares (laughs) 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 i mean it's 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 uh i'm not i'm not saying in a very negative way but it's 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 really not that important it's refreshing to hear that i mean i get lost in like the self indulgence of all this and the absurdity of it so when those days when i remember like you know what this is this is making and it's art and it's kind of ridiculous but also beautiful and wonderful and like keeps me going and fun and fun yeah yeah. you know god forbid fun (laughs) (laughs) um maybe you know real quick to sort of get into something that's not directly related to art, but I know that you like film. I do, I do. Um, and uh, particularly Korean film, mm-hmm. I understand. Um, and I am a, an, a, a film fan. I like watching stuff in the evenings. It's one of the ways I sort of decompress mm-hmm. each night. Um, and I wanted to ask if you had any suggestions, okay. films that, that my, I should see or anyone listening to this should see. Yeah, so... First of all, I should confess, even when I said I love film, that, like, I don't even remember when was the last time I went to movie theaters. So <laughs> I, know, right. I don't even know. It's a sort of self-entitled yeah. uh, film fan, but not necessarily. It's not, yeah, I'm sure it's compared to people who really like Yeah, the cinema. Like, yeah, 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 it's yeah, not, yeah. So, um, but yeah, if anything, even when I was growing up, I actually... Um, Not the fine art, you know, not the paintings, but mostly films I really liked, storytellings and, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, um, I'm actually excited about talking about Korean film, but I, I I do think that, especially in New York, New York people are so savvy that the, and they're so sophisticated that they know a lot of international um, films and directors. And mm-hmm. then I'm sure a lot of people are very well aware of some of the... Uh, most well-celebrated Korean directors um, because they're all also very well-received mm-hmm. here in North America and also in Europe. But I I, I got to say the reason why I, you know, the, I believe personally the reason why Korean films are so strong and special, A, um, Korean film has a, such a weird tonality mm-hmm. like within within the one movie there's mm-hmm. like a, a switch of different tones happening yeah the rhythms are strange yeah not i shouldn't say strange but maybe that's one of the, the strong things about yeah it, right? uh there's horror with the humor i mean there's a certain kind of like a, a sh- changes of tone of the movie that i think a lot of known koreans seem like that's unexpected or right. strange or and i I believe uh, 
those kind of things happen because in some sense, you know, uh, South Koreans, as you know that we, we have a South Korea and North Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, and North Korea and Trump has been on the news for for past whatever year, mm-hmm. about a year, and few months and few weeks. Uh, the having almost permanent state of military paranoia. Yeah, and conflict. Mm-hmm. It's it it does something to the entire psychic of Korean people. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a con- constant, like there's a certain intensity that comes with it. There's a, a certain kind of need of humor within that intensity. So there, and also, it, so those kind, th- those kind of psychics sort of went into a lot of uh, uh, movies and like, and also images and visuals are so stunning. A lot of films that yeah. made by Korean directors. Um, of course, one of my favorite is Park Chan-wook. Okay. I'm sure you've watched Old Boy. Yes. Uh, Handmade. Yeah. So it's... Not to be confused with the, the show, The Handmaid's right, Tale. Right, right, it's just right. The Handmaiden, right. which is a beautiful film. Right. Yeah. So he's great. Uh, another great director is Bong Joon-ho, which is the one who did Okja with the Netflix. Oh, right. Yeah, Snowpiercer. He's the one. I recommend, highly recommend his earlier work called Memories of Murder. Memories of Murder. That's w- that was made in 2004. Okay. But um, it's, it's about the first known serious killer story in Korea. But Is it a, uh, like a thriller? What, what genre of film is it? Or detective story. Okay. But, it ha- you know, any good film, it sort of has the... The structure of a d- detective, but overall, um, it peers through the the period that mm-hmm. was happened, which is late nineteen nineties, um, which there was a dictatorship was happening. Mm-hmm. So, um, for that particular movie, pay attention to the landscape. Okay, and I feel like he did such a great job showing landscape as a metaphor for the emotions and political um, state of the country. Yeah, yeah. And that that's like the one that I also recommend. Um, another director I w- would recommend for your viewers and you, uh, the listeners and you, um, Na Hong Jin. He's also, um, he did... So only three movies actually okay. um chaser uh yellow sea and third one just came out 2016 called the wailing the wailing that, that sounds familiar it's stunning yeah. film okay you should yeah i mean i think rotten tomato gave him like 99 percent or something okay. like that cool so. that's a great list the, uh, one of the one uh, uh a korean film i, I gotta mention that sort of opened my eyes to sort of the, the the wonderful storytelling and and the aesthetic and those the rhythms that we we're talking about it was yeah. called the host do you know that one so that's i don't know who the director is bong juno the second oh, guy oh, okay. that i mentioned yeah that I, mean, I saw that in the theater in the early 2000s when it came i mean when it came to the states yeah. 
Um, and man, that kind of blew me out of the water. That was yeah. great. And I really, really liked the arc of it, um, the aesthetic of it, the design. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm a fan of a sort of sci-fi creature movie, monster, uh, monster movie. Yeah. But I also really appreciated that the, the hero protagonist character was a young woman. Yeah. And taking care of, was it her sibling, like a little brother yeah. or sister or something like that? He's always sort of into the bringing the uh, sort of a weak and meek person as a hero character. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, that's great. I think that's pretty fascinating stuff. And also, you know, that movie, um, it's ev- it's so hard to even say it's a monster movie because no, he that's reveals just, that's monsters a big metaphor for something so else. fast. Yeah, right, and so. it has a lot to do with, and it's critical of the states. You know, yes. it, it, like the origin of the monster is toxic garbage that the states dumped in the ocean near right. um south korea somewhere so uh you yeah. know same I mean, it's thing political as a, in a way right you know, the everything's Ukja, political, so it's like a very environmental yeah sort of a political yeah they take movie. a point of view yeah. they're not passive which is i think important um you know to, to go back into your work and some of the um maybe some of the the metaphors or ideas that I see in the work or, or that like words that you've said about your work in mm-hmm. other interviews that I, I wrote down three of them. And I wonder if we could just like sort of, <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> like weave into, to, you, you mentioned the danger, okay, precariousness yeah. and stability. Mm-hmm. And I thought those are three descriptive, you know, ideas mm-hmm. that, that I see in your work and yes. I wonder I wonder if um, you could just elaborate a little bit on th- those ideas and how they connect or disconnect yeah um, I because of the scale and color people sort of see my work as a very inviting mm-hmm. but I think often they sort of miss um, that there's sense of uh, poking and cutting and penetrations and um, barely supporting and barely holding together, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea of like state of danger or precarious is definitely Mm -hmm. there. And I think I put that in my work because that's what I believe. Yeah. (laughs) As a person too, I feel like nothing is stable. Yeah. In life. Yeah. Yeah, Not not in a bad way. Right, right. But I mean... Yeah, we're we're like kind of walking on a balance beam, yeah, through our days, right? And you know, if you, you know, the magnetic sculptures that have, you know, I think I described in the beginning, you know, the things that are in the back of the 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 drawer, you uh-huh. know, the the needles, the paper clips, yeah, um, you know, you can't really touch some of these without getting poked or yeah. punctured. You know, there it's this nice mix of hard and soft and delicate and aggressive uh but also i think that you know the the they're everyday objects right so they have a certain kind of familiarity like you 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 look at them you're like oh i know what that is yeah so i think in creating this kind of tension point like falling and hanging and poking you know those kind of drama Mm -hmm. creates a tension that i think makes things uh less familiar yeah yeah they're changed you're changing these things that we've seen um i mean i you know i didn't quite see it right away but in this one you have some false eyelashes talk about like a gentle little gesture that sort of gets lost unless you really like focus your eye 
um, because it's so faint against the sort of more colorful beadwork. But, you know, how those are sort of coming off and going in, it's like this very sort of precarious moment within that sculpture right there. I mean, I think I do do ask a lot for a viewer to really pay attention, even though at first, at first glance, again, they seem like I see everything because, you know, colors are so vibrant, but at the same time, you know, I, I literally make people sit or stand, walk around, you know, there's a kind of like dance I make them to. Yeah, which is good. Yeah. You know, you're, 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 you know, to go back to presentation, not only with the gestures on the plane of your paintings, mm-hmm. but in the height of where your sculptures mm-hmm. are, you know, like getting down low or, you know, drawing your eye up, like I said, with some of these chords is great. I yeah. think that's, I don't know, I think that's one of the responsibilities we have is to sort of like keep the viewer on our heel a little yeah. bit and challenge them, you yeah. know, like, no, this isn't going to be necessarily easy. You yeah. know, you, you have to work a little bit to, to find the gifts within, yeah. so. Or stop them at least. Yeah. Like stop and pause. Slow just down. a little bit, yeah. Yeah, well said. Um, what are some of the things that are on the horizon? that you're working towards or maybe there's a a uh, you know a dream project or, or something that you'd love to do that you're comfortable voicing out there <laughs> yeah. like shouting to the muses well I don't know about dream projects but um, I do have um, two solos coming up um, one in September at uh, VCU Virginia Commonwealth University which I'm very super excited about. I it's always fun to do at an institu- like educational institution. So not only I'm having a show there, but I'm also visiting MFA sculpture department. Um, Talking to students. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then October I have a solo at Sardine, which is a, a gallery in Brooklyn. But if you are familiar with that gallery, they don't have a much of floor uh, space. Sardines an a- appropriate. N- title for this space it's yes, small yeah it's, it's a it's small probably like what th- 200 square feet 300 yeah i probably close to 300 because it's a sort of l shape yeah um but i'm excited about their bookshelf uh permanent presentation mm-hmm. tools that they have but it's um but it's going to be all wall this yeah. time so you know i've been sort of working um for that given space I also have uh, uh, two uh, summer shows, group shows. Uh, one in Sardonia, which is a gallery in Dallas. Texas? Yes. And then uh, upcoming group solo show is at the Pit. It's an LA gallery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and then I'll do Nada with them, okay. Miami Nada in December, and then solo next year in twenty. 19. Can you say uh, what the gallery is? The Pit. Oh, The Pit. Oh, right, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. great. So, uh, in November, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, and then I, we're still talking, but um, Small Edition, I have to give a shout at Small Editions, which is a, a publisher who published my artist book. Mm-hmm. They've been so great. They actually sold my artist book. Um, please enjoy to uh, Whitney. Metropolitan Museum, um, Chicago Art Institute, awesome. Yale, a um, couple of days ago, Housing Words Bookstore. Congratulations. Um, 
and Perp Matters. I mean, so they, they've been great. So mm -hmm. Karina, who runs the place, we were talking about doing some project. Um, Another publishing project. Yeah, or it could be, it's, you know, nothing is concrete, but, you know, I potentially some, yeah, but not necessarily like paintings or sculptures, right. but like some other projects. So hopefully sometime next year it'll be much more concrete. Cool. Um, so, yeah, so four p solo project for this year and next year. It's fantastic. Yeah. You're busy, which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, hopefully there's some fun in there, too. Oh, always. Yeah. I will not do it unless. Good. Good. Well, son, I, I feel like this is a great spot to sort of bookend things. Uh, thanks for participating in this project. And it was really great to see your space and learn more about how this stuff gets made and some of the ideas behind it. So thank you. Thank you. We've made it to the end. A quick reminder that you can learn more about this project and the artists featured by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also make a donation on the support page and be sure to subscribe in the Apple Podcast directory. Thank you for listening and check back soon for a new episode.